Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you could look at the, in the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there. We'd love for you to take that Bible uh, as our gift uh, to you. But if you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. In the summer of 1994, the Walt Disney Company came out with its uh, next animated musical drama known as The Lion King. The Lion King tells the story of a young lion named Simba, who was to succeed his father Mufasa as the king of what was called the Pride Lands. However, after a tragedy that led to his father's death, Simba was manipulated into thinking that he was responsible and he was forced to flee into exile. While traveling through the desert, he collapses and he is rescued by a meerkat and a warthog named Timon and Pumbaa. They take him to an oasis where he grows up living a carefree life under the motto Hakuna Matata, which means no worries. Unbeknownst to Simba, while he spent the last several years growing up in a worry-free environment, his homeland had been ravaged under the tyrannical leadership of his uncle named Scar. After some time goes by, Simba is encouraged by an old friend to return home and take back leadership of the Pride Lands. However, he's hesitant to return and take his rightful place as king. One of the most memorable moments, at least to me, in the movie comes when Simba is visited in a vision by the ghost of his father, Mufasa, in the nighttime sky. And his father has this conversation with him. He says, Simba... And Simba says, Father, Simba, you have forgotten me. No, how could I? You have forgotten who you are and so have forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. Simba says, how can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. And his father says, remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. And as Mufasa's face fades back into the night sky, you can hear him once again saying, remember who you are. So why do I tell you this story? As I look at what's going on in our nation right now, the division, the riots, the hateful rhetoric between political candidates and their supporters, I believe that a lot of this chaos is a result of the fact that the church has forgotten who we are. Just like Simba, the church has grown comfortable in our oasis, our church buildings. We've become complacent in our lives, and we have adopted the mantra of Hakuna Matata, no worries. You see, we've we've become content in the church with simply living out our lives and trying not to really pay attention to what's going on around us or not engaging the world around us. 
So I ask you this question this morning, church. What has happened to the church in the United States? What has happened to the church in the United States? While it is true that churches are still prevalent in the United States, they no longer wield the same power that they once did. 50, 60 years ago, the church was at the center of society. It was at the center of culture. And yet we find ourselves today on the fringe of society and culture. Like Simba, we have forgotten who we are and we have forgotten the mission that was entrusted to us by Jesus. If I were to sum up the message to you today in this sentence, it would be this. It's time for the church to wake up and remember who we are and to fulfill the mission that was entrusted to us by Jesus. You see, the church in America looks very similar to another church that we read about in the book of Revelation, and that is the church at Sardis. This morning, in the time that we have remaining, I want us to hear what the Word of God has to say to the church that is in need of awakening. I want us to hear what the Word of God has to say to the church that has forgotten who it is and what its mission is. So if you would, stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, and that you are alive, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. Sardis was 35 miles southeast of the city of Thyatira. It is also 50 miles east of Ephesus. At this time, Sardis was, about, uh, was made up of about 120,000 people. There were actually two cities. The original city had been built upon a plateau on a mountain that was about 1,500 feet above the ground. The second city was built around the base of the mountain. This is where this, the church at Sardis was located. And out of the seven churches of the, that are written to the, in the book of Revelation, Sardis was the most historically famous. For you see, about 700 years before Revelation was written, Sardis was known as one of the greatest cities in the world. It was a very wealthy city, very prosperous. It had become prosperous because of the wool industry. Within Sardis, there was a very large Jewish population. In fact, one of the largest synagogues ever, ever found 
was in Sardis. But while the city of Sardis had experienced past glories, by the time of the writing of the book of Revelation, the city was in severe decay. You see, on the surface, everything looked good in Sardis. It looked to be a prosperous uh, city. But on closer inspection, it was found to be lacking. The church at Sardis had become a reflection of what was happening in the city. Back to the text, verse 1 again. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars say this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the first part of the sentence and, and what do the different symbols mean. Let me just say this. The seven spirits of God that it speaks of is representative of the Holy Spirit. And the seven stars or represent the messengers or pastors to each of the individual seven churches. But where I want us to really focus is on the second part of the sentence. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. You see, unlike his message to the previous churches, Christ's message to the church at Sardis contains no word of praise. In fact, he begins his message with a rebuke of the church at Sardis, and it's a very serious one. He says, I know your deeds. You see, Christ is reminding the church that he is indeed watching. He sees what they are doing, and while they are doing a lot, the problem is, is all that they are doing is simply religious activity. How many churches today are busy doing the work of the Lord, but yet they're missing the Lord? You see, we can fool people and we can make them think that we're really on fire for Christ. But here's the problem, you can't fool Him. Christ knows whether you are serving Him with your lives or whether you're simply serving him with your lips. You see, half-hearted effort does not fool the Lord, nor does it satisfy him. Many of the members of the church of Sardis, again, were very active in doing the work of ministry, but there was no real spiritual life there. That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. You see, apparently the church at Sardis had a good reputation in the community. We don't see any sign of persecution uh, in, in the church. There doesn't seem to be any threats on the out, coming from the outside or the inside. They're not dealing with any heresies in the church. So on the surface, everything looks great. Well, you would think, well, what's the problem? Isn't that a good thing? But I would say, no, there is a problem. Because the church that is, that is seeking to reach people with the gospel will face trials, will face persecution. But yet they had no troubles. They faced no persecution. And why? Because they were actually flying under the radar. They didn't bother anyone. They didn't stand up against the immoralities that were going on in the city of Sar Sardis. They simply went along with the sinful and idolatrous lifestyles of the city. Very simply put, they had assimilated to the culture around them. They fit right into the culture of their day without even thinking about it. You see, the devil didn't bother the church at Sardis because it was no threat to him. And why? It had lost its witness. 
They were no longer salt and light in their city. The unsaved of Sardis saw the church as a respectable group of people who were neither dangerous nor desirable. Let me say that again. The people of Sardis looked at the church as good and respectable people. However, they did not view them as dangerous nor desirable. That you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. You see, their reputation did not line up with reality. I wonder, is this not the case in the American church today? How many churches today in the United States look great on the outside? They sit in multi-million dollar facilities. They have lots of programs for people to get involved in. But yet on the inside, there's no real life. How many churches are so busy doing a bunch of religious activity rather than focusing on what they've really been called to do, which is to reach people with the gospel? How many churches don't realize that the power has left the church building, has left the people? In some ways, it kind of reminds me of Samson. You remember... Excuse me, you remember Samson when he got involved with Delilah and she was pressing him on, you know, what's the secret of your strength? And finally he got so fed up he told her. And so when he went to sleep, she cut all of his hair off, tied him up. And then when she cried out, Samson, the Philistines, and he woke up and he tried to break the, the bonds just like he had many times before. But the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord had left him. I wonder how many churches today has the power of the Spirit left and they don't even realize it. How many churches have become so spiritually dead that we don't even care about what's going on around us? I mean, we have to ask ourselves, church, do we care that each day in this country thousands of babies are being aborted? Do we even care that these babies, and let's call it what it really is, are being murdered? Do we care that in the United States of America, thousands of children are going to bed every night hungry? In the United States of America. It's one thing when we look up here and we see children in Africa and we're like, oh, you know, well, of course, they're in a third world country. But did you know that tens and thousands of children in the United States of America go to bed hungry every night? Does that bother us? Let me go one step even further. Does it bother us that every day tens and thousands of Americans are dying without knowing Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? As the church, does that bother us to know that people are dying every day and they are going straight to hell where they will spend eternity? Does that bother us? Does it bother us that our government right now there are people within our government who are trying to pass laws that would prevent the church from speaking out and condemning practices that Scripture condemns, issues such as homosexuality and transgenderism. Does it bother us that our government right now is working to pass those laws? How many churches in the United States today have simply assimilated to our culture? I want to read to you from the website of another Baptist church 
and another state that was recently brought to my attention. This is not a Southern Baptist church, but it is a Baptist church. Look, this is what they say on their website. Our church family welcomes and affirms all persons without distinction regarding race, ethnicity, national origin, class, sexual orientation, gender identity, or any other category created by humans. We are inclusive. We are an inclusive, fun faith community where persons from all walks of life feel comfortable worshiping and working together to bring Christ's love to the world, doing the best we can and trying not to embarrass Jesus too much. You hear that? We affirm, we are for, we support these positions. I find it interesting, particularly when it talks about people, uh, sexual orientation and gender identity or any other category created by humans. Humans did not create sexual orientation or gender. God created that. God created man and woman. Okay, that's what the Bible says. So do we stand on what the Bible says or do we stand on what culture says? That's the decision we have to make. And, and right now, many churches in the United States are standing on what culture says, not the Bible. Now, I want you to hear me when I say this. Are people who are choosing to live these lifestyles not welcome in the church? Absolutely not. We do want to welcome them to come. We want them to know we care. We, we do care about them. But there is a truth that we stand on. And we want them to know God cares about them. And the, that lifestyle is not what God has for them. That is not God's best. And we want to love them through that and help them to see and understand the truth of the word of God and not buy into the lie. Because that, that is the lie of the enemy. That is not of God. And we have to be a church that stands on the Bible. Amen? If we're not a church that stands on the Bible, let's just shut the doors now. It's not worth it if we're not gonna stand on the word of God. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Verse two, wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Wake up. It's the Greek word gregoreo, which means to be awake to be on alert or to be watchful. This isn't an imperative. It is a command. God is not asking the church to do this. He's telling the church because this is serious business. It is also what is known as a present active participle. And all you need to know about that is basically that that means it is to be in continuous action. Keep being awake. Keep staying alert. Keep being watchful. This word would have struck a chord with the people of Sardis. Because you see, twice in their history, the city had fallen into the hands of foreign invaders because the watchmen had abandoned their posts, which then allowed the enemy to capture the city. You see, the people of Sardis had thought that they were safe behind their big walls. They, had an, they were overly confident in their man-made structures, and this is what led to their demise. And remember, the church had become a reflection of the city. The church had become complacent. The church had become comfortable 
during times of financial prosperity. They had placed their faith in their financial security. We must never take the things of God for granted. Watchfulness should be the constant attitude of the Christian's life. For you see, as Christians, we are continually under attack by the powers of darkness that are seeking to turn us from our commitment, from our faithfulness, from our loyalty to Christ. And often these attacks are very subtle. You see, temptation waits for the unguarded moments and then it attacks. So what is it that we're supposed to be watching for? We must be on watch for temptation. Jesus in the garden told the disciples, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. In 1 Peter 5.8, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. We must be on watch for temptation Secondly, we must be on watch for the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 and verse 6. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be on alert. Matthew 24, 42 and 44. Therefore, be on alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not think He will. Christ could come at any moment, church. He could come today. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be great if He came today? But He may not. He could come tomorrow or it may be a hundred years from now. But yet His return is imminent and we must be looking for it. Wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. You see, some of the people in the church of Sardis were living in such a way as to call into question whether or not they had a real faith. You know, we're constantly looking to Christ for things. We look to him for strength. We look to him for help, for support and for comfort. And as we should. But did we ever stop to think that maybe he's looking to us for something as well? Maybe he's looking for our love. He's looking for our loyalty. He's looking for our service. You see, each of these were on the verge of death in the lives of many of the members at the church of Sardis. But how about today? How about the church today? How strong is our love for Christ today? How strong is our loyalty of Christ? Does Christ reign on the thrones of our hearts? Or have we given up the throne to someone or something else? How committed are we to his service? Why is it in the church today that we can fill a worship service with people, but yet we can't get enough volunteers in the children's and in the youth ministries? You see, the, the, at the Christians at Sardis, their deeds were hollow and they were empty. They did not have the inward affections to match their outward deeds. And Christ was calling them to strengthen 
these things. I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. They're not completed. Well, what, what was it that was missing? They had stopped doing what they had been called to do. And that was to preach and share the gospel. So the question is, how committed are we as a church to sharing the gospel in our communities? But even more personally, how committed are we as individuals to sharing the gospel with those in our own circles of influence? Are we willing to share the gospel within our own families? How many of us have family members that don't know Christ? Are we sharing the gospel with them? What about friends, coworkers, those in our circles of influence? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Are we completing the deeds that God has placed before us? Verse 3 of Revelation 3. So remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. See, that because the church at Sardis had sold out to the culture, they had lost their identity. When we allow ourselves to die on the inside, it's easy to forget how God has worked in our lives in the past. When we talk about the past, a lot of times you'll hear people use the phrase, you can't go back. However, sometimes you have to go back and you have to remember before you can move forward. Remember what you have received and heard. This is a call to remember the gospel. He tells them to remember the call which they had received to follow Christ. Church, we must never lose sight of the gospel. Remember here is a present imperative, which means, again, it's a command that is saying, keep on remembering. Never let yourself forget. The gospel must remain at the forefront of our minds and our thoughts. It's as if God is telling them, remember where you were. Remember where you were when I found you. Where were we when the Lord found us? Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 1, and then in 4 and 5, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. It's a call to go back to where you started, to remember the thrill of when you first heard and responded to the gospel. Do you remember that day, church? Do you remember that day that you heard the gospel and you responded to it? When I was a little boy, we used to sing a song in my home church to remind us of that day. That song is called Glory, Glory, Glory. Does anyone remember that song? In the chorus it goes, Glory, 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 somebody touched me. Glory, 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 somebody touched me. Glory, 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 somebody touched me. It must have been the hand of the Lord. And as we would sing that song in the chorus, a part of that, we would sing through the days of the week. 
It happened on a Monday. And if you were saved on a Monday, you'd jump up. And if you were saved on Tuesday, until finally those that had, had responded to the gospel were all standing and singing, glory, 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 glory. Somebody touched me. It must have been the hand of the Lord. It was a call to remember that moment when God called you. As a Christian, we must constantly stand before the cross and remember what God has done for us. We must never forget nor take for granted the mystery and the wonder of the cross. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it, keep it. It's the call to obedience. We need to take the word of God seriously. This is either the word of God, the ultimate truth in life, or it's not. If it is, then we have to keep it. The Bible is not a buffet that we can just pick and choose what we want. Take what we want, leave the rest. I'll have a little bit of helping of grace, a little side of mercy. Give me a portion of blessing, but hold off on the dying to self. Hold off on the suffering. Hold off on the sacrifice. It's not a buffet. It's the word of God. We have to keep it. And then he says, and repent. You see, the church at Sardis did not openly promote sin, but they tolerated it. They tolerated it. You see, we live in a society that preaches tolerance. And we're pressured today that as Christians, we should be tolerant of others. Where in Scripture does it ever say that we should be tolerant? It says we should be loving. There's a difference. We should not tolerate sin. Does God tolerate sin? Where in Scripture did you ever see Jesus tolerating sin? He never did. Instead, this is what Jesus did. He showed love and care for the sinner. He sought to meet the need before addressing the sinful issue. That is the model that Jesus has shown us. Just like the woman who was caught in adultery, what did he say to her? He didn't say, go and sin no more and you'll be forgiven or I won't condemn you. No, he said, I do not condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. That's the model. So we must never tolerate, it, just accept sinful behavior. Instead, we are to love people and to walk with people through that until they come to the place where they realize that whatever it is that they're engaged in is not what God has for them. That is what Jesus has shown us. Deal with the issue. Let, just meet the need. Let God deal with the sin. We must never be tolerant. We must love our neighbors. That's what we're called to. But see, repentance is not simply a question of awareness of our sin, but it's what we do about it. Genuine repentance not only feels remorse over sin, but it turns away from sin and it turns to God. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come to you. This was a warning that if the church did not repent, judgment was coming. The image of the thief, again, would have been very familiar to the, Sardis, to the people of Sardis, 
Because twice in their history, when their watchmen fell asleep, the enemy was able to come in and they were defeated. There has to be a sense of urgency within the church today. The Bible says that our lives are like a vapor, that we're here one moment and that we're gone the next. And if we are not watchful, if we are not alert, if we are not awake, we will find ourselves without warning facing eternity. Eternity is only that far away, folks. But if you dedicate yourself to living each day in the presence of Christ, to walking with Christ, then there's nothing to fear. I love how one commentator said it. He who walks hand in hand with Christ cannot be taken unaware by his coming. He who walks hand in hand with Christ cannot be taken unaware by his coming. Verse four, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. God never abandons his search for the faithful few and they are never lost to his sight, even in the mass, the masses of the wicked. You see, there were still some in the church of Sardis who remained faithful. It says that they had not soiled this gar- their garments. Soiling is a symbol for mingling with, the pagan, with pagan lives and thus defiling oneself. But these Christians, these faithful few in Sardis, had kept their identity in Christ. They had not allowed the influences of the culture to overtake them. They had maintained their purity. Church, we have to stop dipping our toes into the pool of sin and thinking that we're not gonna fall in. You cannot dip your toes into the pool of sin. Eventually, you're going to fall in. Verse five, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. White garments are symbolic of righteousness, of victory and the glory of God. This verse here serves as an affirmation that Jesus will not forget the faithfulness of his followers. It is in fact one of the strongest affirmations in scripture that death can never separate the true believer from Christ. You see, what ultimately counts is not our, is not our acceptance by the world, but whether our name is written in that book, in that book of life. And you don't get in that book of life by simply just coming to church every week and sitting in a chair or in a pew. It doesn't come because you're a member of a church or that you've done a lot of good deeds. It doesn't matter if you were raised in a Christian family where your parents were believers. Many people can fool themselves into thinking that they've accepted Christ because they've gone through the motions. Maybe they walked an aisle. Maybe they said a prayer with a preacher. Maybe they were even baptized. But that's not the issue. The issue is not the the outward motions. The issue is the inward. What has happened in their heart? Were they sincere? Were they insincere when they walked that aisle? When they confessed their sin to God? When they asked for forgiveness? When they asked God to save them? Because that's what matters. Our outward emotions and motions are, mean nothing if it's not real in the heart. It means absolutely nothing. Lastly, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit 
says to the churches. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, if you hear what I'm saying, then you need to act. If you hear what I'm saying, then you need to act. Or as Pastor Steve likes to say, you picking up what I'm putting down? I want to end with a couple of things. Again, as I look at the chaos that's going on in our country today, I cannot help but think that God is crying out to his church, wake up! Wake up, church! One pastor said it this way, I love it. He said, instead of standing on the promises, the church has been sleeping on the premises. Instead of standing on the promises, the church has been sleeping on the premises. God is crying out today, church, remember who you are. Who are we? We are the ecclesia, the called out ones. We are the people of God. We are his beloved. We are the ones to whom Christ has given the keys of the kingdom and whom he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Remember what you have received. We are the recipients of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. May we never lose the joy of our salvation. Remember that we have been given a mission. We have been called out. We've been called out in order to go out so that we could reach out to those who are lost. Jesus told us in Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, will we allow the church in America today to be the Sardis of our generation? The warning here is that we must not grow comfortable in our churches lest we find ourselves slowly dying like the church at Sardis. We have to determine to live for Christ, regardless of the persecution, regardless of the pressure, regardless of the hardship. We are in desperate need of an awakening in this country. Psalm 85, 6 says, Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice? Church, I believe that God is longing to bring another great awakening in the United States of America. He's crying out to its people, saying, wake up, arise, be alert. I heard it said recently, Christianity will make it without America, but America will not make it without Christianity. Christianity, the Christian faith, will make it without America. But the United States of America will not make it without the Christian faith. If revival is to come, let it begin in you. Let it begin in me. Remember who you are and what you have been called to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. Thank you, Father, that you are always honest with us. 
that you tell us where we stand before you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive your church that we've been asleep. Forgive us that we've assimilated to our culture. That we have retreated into our buildings. Doing our own thing. Hoping that maybe we will not face persecution or hardships. Father, the world is falling apart around us. And you are crying out for your church to engage that lost and broken world. You're calling us to go and to minister, to care and to love for. Not necessarily accepting of those things, but letting people know that there's a better way, that they don't have to live like that. God, right now, we pray that you would just move in a mighty way in this country, across the world. God, help us to be watchful, knowing that the day is drawing near. Though we don't know the hour, you call us to be ready. God, if there's anyone here today that's never made that decision to give their lives to Christ, God, help them to sense the urgency that eternity is right around the corner. And this is the most important decision that they will ever make because the ramifications have eternal consequences. So we give this time to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing this hymn of invitation? If you're here today and you've never maybe trusted in Jesus Christ, we want to offer you that opportunity. As I just said, knowing this is the most important decision you'll ever make because it has eternal consequences. We want to, if you want to know more about Jesus, we want to share with you. You have that opportunity now. Maybe you already know the Lord. Maybe the Lord's stirring in your heart. Maybe, maybe you haven't been walking as tightly with them as you should, and you know that. Maybe now is the time to recommit yourself to that. Being revived, being awakened, knowing that God has called you, He has a purpose for you. This time is for you to talk with the Lord. If you need prayer, we're here. Or if you want to just come to the altar and pray, it's always open. But let's sing.